0: You're listening to Messages from the Middle. I'm Wendy Parrish. This is episode number 44, Love the Life You're In. Have you noticed that people don't usually share their struggles until they're over? It's not until they've defeated their dragon and marched victoriously home that they share their story. Well, I'm not one of those people. My name is Wendy Parrish and I am in the middle of my story. From the Middle, I've learned a few things, and I would like to bring you into my story. This is the good, the struggle, the light, the dark, and the lessons learned. This is Messages from the Middle. Hello, and welcome to the Messages from the Middle podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Parrish. This is a mental health podcast where we talk about mental health through a holistic lens. Here we'll talk about mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical health and how they can all work together to create the best version of you. So the other day I had an experience which made me think about when my first kid was a baby and I was doing all of his well-child checkups and at his well child checkups i was i was doing this thing i was lying at each well child appointment they would give me this survey to fill out with all these questions about how he was doing developmentally questions like can he pick up cheerios with two fingers can he is he walking and then there was this one question that i would get asked every time how many words is he saying? And then they would give me like a range of words. And at each appointment, at each um, milestone, there was a different amount of words he needed to be saying to hit that milestone. And and I would lie. I would say, Oh yeah, he's totally hitting that milestone. Yep, he's absolutely saying all these words. So he was growing and moving and picking up Cheerios and doing all the things that he was supposed to do at each milestone. But he was not talking. (laughs) But I was sure he was fine. I was so sure he was fine. And I just didn't want to deal with it with the doctors. And I didn't want to like have them start to worry about him and how's he doing. Well, and I guess guess if he's not talking, there must be something wrong with him. And I don't know if it was the new mother, I don't know what it was, but I just didn't want to go there. I was not prepared in any way to be worried about my son, who had pretty much one word at this time, which was this. And everything was a this. Not to mention all the other kids around his age were just blabbering away. I will never forget when my friend's son, who is two days older, came up to me and told me he didn't say he was sorry. And I had to look at him and say, oh, sweetie, it's because he can't. So yeah, at every single doctor's appointment, I just lied. So I thought about this because when I go to my psychiatrist for medication checkups, which we do about every three months, I'm also asked to fill out a questionnaire assessing how I'm doing. Questions like, have you felt hopeless in the last two weeks? And then I get this a lot, sometimes never, not at all, kind of a Questionnaire thing. And there's a bunch of different questions related to a bunch of different parts of mental health. And in the past, I've always answered it very honestly. And I had an appointment coming up and I had just decided, I'm going to lie. I'm just going to lie. Because usually what happens when I fill it out honestly is it feels like all these red flags go up and they start to assess what's going on and what am I doing. And usually there's some form of medication change or adjustment. And honestly, I'm just tired. I'm tired of being a person who continues to struggle with this. I'm tired of being a person who doesn't seem to get better no matter what we do. And maybe I'll get better for a little while, but then we backslide. And I'm just tired of it. And I know that it is not the doctor's job to judge. And I don't even think he does judge me, but I didn't want to be judged for being quotes broken. So at about the same time, just before this appointment, which actually I still haven't had, but that's not the point. I had an appointment with my therapist And for some reason, I don't know if it's just how I was feeling at the time, my relationship with him, I don't know. I decided to do the opposite of lie and be very honest and tell him that my plan was to go to my appointment with psychiatry and lie. And I told him all the reasons why I was going to lie. I told him all about how I was sick of being the person who doesn't get better and who seems to be broken and terms like medication resistant depression. I didn't want to hear it anymore. And I just was so tired of being this person that I just wanted to lie and not be this person at another doctor's appointment. So after expressing all of these feelings and all of these thoughts and the thing that I just, I didn't want to have to go through another medication adjustment, I just blurted out I don't need a medication change. I need a life change. You know how in therapy, in like TV and movies, in therapy sessions, there'll be this dramatic moment and they'll call it like a breakthrough. I've always thought that was kind of just silliness. Like the therapy I've gone through, we've talked and there's been light bulb moments and there's been things, but it felt for some reason, like when I blurted that out, this was kind of a... Breakthrough moment, like a lightning bolt moment. And I didn't pick it up. It was my therapist that picked it up. I mean, he is the one with like all the education and the degrees and that gets paid to do these things, right? He wrote it down and then he read it back to me. He said, You just said, I don't need a medication change. I need a life change. So, what does that mean? What do you mean by I need a life change? Here's the thing, there's all kinds of life changes available to us at any time. We do have choice and options and things available to us. At any point, you can go on a big old eat, pray, love thing where you just leave your life behind and burn it down and go create a completely different life. That is always open to you. But I'm willing to guess that that's not exactly what you want, right? I mean, some of you might, and like I said, that option is open to you. But I don't think all of us, including me, want to have a life change without doing a whole big eat, pray, love, hike the whole Appalachian Trail, sell off everything, burn down your life, and start all over again with bangs and a different hair color, working as a vegan yoga instructor in Bali. How do you create a life change while still living the life that you are in? That is such a great question. I am so glad that you asked. As a person who has a, an instinct, a trauma response to run, the whole run away and live in a cottage in the woods with fresh new bangs always seems to call to me. But then there's my husband, who is more than welcome to join me in this cottage in the woods, by the way. And there's my kids and my dogs. And not to mention that growing out bangs is literally the worst. So the past couple of weeks, the question that I have been working on in my brain has been, how do I change my life while keeping my life? Recently, I've started doing a much better job at journaling and creating lists and brain dumping and just allowing words and thoughts to just come out on the page without really making sure that it has paragraphs and sentences and that it all makes sense and that if later in life my children find it they can read it just like a novel and it can be published. I just write things as they come to my brain. So I started to work through these feelings and thoughts that have been bouncing around in this very busy brain of mine on how to create a life change. And I took this list and these thought dumps, and I tried to come up with my own ways to create the life that I want within the life that I have. And here are the few things that I came up with. And I'm sharing these with you in case they spark an idea for you. This may not be what you need, but I just want to share what I came up with for me. And maybe it will help to create a spark or something that helps you to find ways that you can move forward. And before I start on my list, I want to say a great way to do things is to break it down into categories. So you can break it down into financial, mental, spiritual, physical. You can break it down into home and family, friends, experiences, occupation, just different categories for you. For me, I wanted to go through like the four categories that I tend to focus on the most with mental health. And instead, I just sort of let things spill out of me and then realized that they fit into categories, but each category kind of bled into the other and they worked together, which was kind of cool to watch happen as I created my lists. And also maybe you aren't seeking a life change, but we can all use a little spruce up in parts of our lives, right? So shockingly, if you know me, the first thing that I put on my list was declutter my house. Just saying that created a knot in my stomach and just a little bit of a wave of nausea. This is a big one and a really hard one for me. For as long as I can remember, even as a young girl, I want, I wanted to live in a space that's super organized, like almost OCD, everything in a place. Everything has a place. It's super clean and open and minimalist and magical. That's the word that I think of when I see those super minimalist organized spaces. But also, I find myself incapable, I know that's self-limiting, we're working on it, of creating such a space. I am so disorganized. My space really reflects my brain. As much as I crave minimalism, I'm sentimental and I'm disorganized. I forget when I already own something. So I've been known to buy multiples of things that I already own. If something is out of sight, like, you know, put away, I forget it exists. Even worse, if I put a thing somewhere where I know it's likely to be found and I'm good for it and I know where it is, it's not the case for my family. Literally, if food is not out on the counter in plain sight or the very front of the refrigerator, it doesn't get eaten. Bread put away where the bread goes always goes bad. Bread sitting on the counter gets eaten. I hate this, but I also hate waste. All of this is to say decluttering is the equivalent of sandpaper on my brain. And also, I want a clean, decluttered, organized home more than I want more puppies. So I had to dig into how I can accomplish this. And that starts with why this will help me in the long run. I think I have read all the whys on why decluttering is good for me. But here they are. A decluttered home actually has a really profound impact on your mental health. A tidy, organized living space, it creates the sense of order and tranquility that reduces the feelings of chaos and stress. And chaos and stress are kind of a trigger for me. The act of decluttering itself can be therapeutic. And I can say that's so true. When I have managed to do it, I feel like a huge weight has been lifted off of my shoulders. It provides a tangible way to regain control and bring clarity to your surroundings. As you remove excess belongings, you find a renewed sense of space. And that space is both physical and mental, which allows for better focus, something I desperately need, and relaxation. hey, okay, a little less anxiety. How good does that sound? A clutter-free environment pr- promotes a positive mindset and it enhances productivity and fosters a greater sense of well-being. If you simplify your living space, you create a harmonious atmosphere and it supports your mental health and contributes to a more balanced and peaceful lifestyle all the things that I know and all the things that I want. And this is probably why as I was writing out how can I learn to love the life I'm living, that is number one that came out. So I know these things and I have my why, but like, come on, how? Seriously, how? And I know that ADHD has a big part to play in this. So in a world where I know that decluttering my home will have a profound effect on my mental health. How do I do this? So for people like me dealing with ADHD, it decluttering, it poses a unique challenge. And often it leads to feelings of overwhelm and paralysis. Have you ever gotten halfway through a decluttering project? And then you just are like sitting there like, now what? Even worse is when I pull everything out and I'm able to throw a bunch of stuff away, but then it needs to be put back. And I'm like, what? How? What? What? Now what? What do I do? So the research says to navigate these challenges, you need to break decluttering down into smaller, more manageable tasks and set specific achievable goals. One drawer at a time one shelf at a time. So set aside time to declutter and focus on one area or category, like just your pants, for example. Create a structured plan or checklist that will provide a clear roadmap. And this is the really great thing, you guys. There are people out there who create these lists and roadmaps for you, and they'll sell them on Etsy for like $1.99. $1.99. And that's probably $1.99 well spent when your brain is so chaotic that you don't even know how to create a structured roadmap. This helps reduce that sense of chaos and uncertainty. And also consider implementing short time bursts of decluttering followed by brief breaks. I've done this before. I'll set a timer and be like, all right, we're going to attack that drawer. We're giving it 10 minutes and then we'll take a break. And then there's the multi-sensory approach. This tends to work really well for me. Turn on music. I will have my iPad with a movie or TV show playing. I will listen to podcasts. I will listen to books. And this makes the process so much more enjoyable. And then there's the idea that you can enlist family family or friends to help you with this daunting task. If you have a sibling who's so good at organization or a friend who's so good at organization, and you guys, here's the other thing about those people that are really, really good at it, they love it. It's fun for them. They wanna show up at your house with a label maker and help you clean and organize your closet. I don't actually have any of those people in my life right now, or maybe I do, and if you're one of them, you know where to find me. Cause like, seriously, I could use your help like last year, <laughs> but bringing someone in to help you can make it kind of fun and enjoyable. And here's a big one. You need to be compassionate with yourself and acknowledge that progress might be gradual and celebrate all the small victories along the way. For example, I started this process at the beginning of the year and I started small and I started with my bedside table. And that might seem really small to you, but that is a major dump spot. It's where everything just gets put that we don't know what to do with it. And I've got three drawers and my kids and me and my husband, we all will dump things there. And I went through it and I cleaned it out and I organized it and it looks so good And it feels so good to have a place for these things. This one little spot is helping me to feel better and know that I can go forward and go into the next drawer and the next shelf and the next category. So once again, if anyone out there wants to come over and help me declutter my house, there is always a standing offer. You know where to find me. And talking about people and friends and family helping you with this decluttering process is a great segue into the next item on my list of how to love the life that I'm in. And that's people. Recently, I've done a lot of focusing on what I don't have, that I don't live near family and I don't live near my closest friends and I don't have the social life I once have and I don't have fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank, all of the things that I don't have but what about what I do have well why have I been so focused on what I don't have when I have some of the greatest people in my corner this thought just thinking about focusing on what I do have was like flipping a switch sometimes coming to these realizations and doing the work and thinking about things it's gradual and it takes time and other times it's a big light switch flip aha moment and this was just writing down the sentence focus on and nurture the friendships and people i do have made all the difference for my friends that live far away i'm embracing and loving technology i send marco polo messages almost every day to some of my friends and weekly or monthly to other friends and even better i've connected to friends that i haven't talked to in a long time. I love social media for this reason. People that I haven't seen in years, I still feel close to. And if I were to run into them somewhere, I could say, hey, I saw this, how are you doing? How are your kids? What's going on? Even though we haven't spoken. It's kind of cool if you use technology in that way. (laughs) For me, a big way to feel connection and closeness to someone is sending memes and videos back and forth. Like seriously, if you are like on Instagram and you see a funny dog video or a silly ADHD meme or something and you send it to me, I'm like, oh, this person loves me or a recipe or anything. It just shows me that I was on your mind. And so I have been very focused on doing the same thing. Sometimes I think, oh, I don't want to annoy this person. Oh, I don't want to bother this person. I don't want to bombard them with this. But then I realize I love it. I would love it if someone who I haven't spoken to in 10 years all of a sudden sent me something. I'd be like, yes, that's it. We are still connected. We still get each other. We still have that connection. I even have so much on going back and scrolling through conversations. My husband and I actually do this a lot. Even though we live in the same home, we will send memes back and forth to each other. And it's so funny to scroll back through these memes and like you can tell what we were talking about or what's been on our mind or like what we have in common and what we understand by these videos that we send to each other. It's like a fun record of our friendship or our relationship. And beyond keeping in contact with people, which is so important, I also saw how clearly important it was for me to express my gratitude on a daily basis for the friends and family that I have in my life, no matter where they are and no matter how much I see them. I write it in my gratitude journal. I spend time on my people in my meditation practice. All of this is to focus on what's here and not keeping me locked in emptiness and scarcity, but more in abundance and gratitude. And then I laid out some action steps for what I can do physically where I live as far as creating and nurturing friendships. And one of those is very small, but that's just to start leaving my house more often. And that starts with leaving my basement, my little basement gym, and working out where other people are. (laughs) This is a funny one for me because I was a gym person. I was five days, six days a week gym person. I woke up, got my kids to school or took my kids with me when they were little and took them to childcare and went to the gym. And then in 2020, when everything closed, I just stopped. And I never went back. And I'm not going to lie, I loved it. It felt like it gave me more time. It eliminated the stress of having all the cutest workout clothes. I literally just grabbed a shirt and shorts and didn't care if they matched or were cute or heck, even if they were clean and went down into my basement. But this also kept me isolated and added more and more to my isolation because it was more comfort and more reasons why it's okay for me not to go be where the people are. So one morning in just a quick rash decision, I got online. I found a cycle studio, which is also, again, if you know me, you might be laughing because I was a cycling teacher for years and then kind of was like, eh, it's more important to do strength training. And all of a sudden I'm missing the bike again. And I thought, I don't really even care if this is the perfect workout. I feel like this is where I need to be. So I found a cycle studio, paid for the one month introductory package, and have just started going. I don't know that this little change is going to create any BFF relationships like it had in my past gym relationships, because that feels like it was a different time and part of life but it gets me out and it gets me seeing people and even talking to people because I also made a goal to do more than just go to class, stay in the back and leave. I decided this is no longer my mode of operation. I will now say hello to people and talk to the instructor. And if I think someone's leggings are cute, then I'm going to tell her. (laughs) Take that social anxiety. This step serves two purposes. It gets me where the people are and it's a shake up to my physical health regimen, which was also in need of a little bit of an overhaul. Your physical health and mental health are interconnected. Do not make the mistake of thinking otherwise. You need to take care of both to see an improvement in both. Your diet affects your brain. Your exercise affects your brain. Your mindset affects your diet. Your mindset affects your exercise. If you're not taking care of your body, you put your mind in very difficult circumstances, making it very hard to think and feel healthy thoughts and emotions. And I also get that when your mental state is really negative, it's really hard to go to the gym, to get in a workout, and to meal prep and eat all the healthy foods. So when you are particularly low, when it is hard to just get out of bed, you start small. About two years ago, I started something and it, it wasn't a habit I needed to keep, but it got me moving. And that was... So in some cases you want to put your yoga mat like right next to your bed so that it's this visual reminder of something to do. I can't do that because my cat will scratch it up and destroy it and I kind of spend a lot of money on my yoga mat. But I would recommend putting your yoga mat next to your bed. As soon as you get out of bed, do some form of movement, some form of stretching, anything you can lay down on it and maybe just to like, crunches, maybe do push-ups. What I did, and this goes back to my training, is I would do one sun salutation and one set of the ab series from classical Pilates. You could get out of bed and just do some simple body weight squats and then some push-ups. One that I think is such a great idea, I got this from one of my friends, is to do calf raises while you're filling up your water bottle or while you're running water or while you're waiting for the shower to heat up just a little bit of movement this gets your body moving the blood pumping and in a lot of cases it connects your mind and your body together and it gets you breathing and then there's the hero of and I'm saying beginning fitness but I want to say of all fitness and that's walking walking is magic you guys It combines so many great things. It gets you moving. It gets you breathing. It gets you outside. It gets you moving your eyes and tracking and getting that bilateral stimulation. Last year, I started tracking my steps and I created a 10,000 step goal. And there's all these research and studies and reasons why 10,000 steps is the right amount of steps and the perfect amount of steps. But I just heard that and wrote down 10,000 steps. Now, my goal was more than 8,000 steps get to 10 try to get to 10,000 steps. And I even did that thing that I talked about on my goal setting podcast at the beginning of the year, 10,000 steps, five days a week. So there's some grace days, there's going to be Sundays when you take a long nap and just want to be lazy with your family. And that's okay. But try to move as much as you can. Ways to get 10,000 steps. Don't park at the front of the parking lot when you're going to the grocery store. It's crazy how much that helps to just park farther away. I've heard some people say they go for a walk after every meal. I don't know that that's always feasible for people, but there's an option. And I have an under desk treadmill that I got on Amazon. I believe it was about $100. And my standing desk also that I got on Amazon was, I believe, under $100. And that setup has been a game changer for me. And I can tell you when I lax on my 10,000 step goal, I can feel how it affects my mental health. And I think a big part of that is, it shows me that I'm just starting to be very lax on a lot of my mental health goals. And that's usually one of the first ones to go. And so if I'm not keeping track of my steps, it means there's a lot of other things that I'm not doing to promote better mental health. So put on your headphones, put on a podcast, may I recommend this one, and go for a walk. And then the last thing I did in a quest for a life change was to write my own vision and purpose statement. This might sound a little woo woo and a little okay fluffy or whatever to you. But I felt like this was something that I needed to do to get out of the numbness and disassociation and, and just the overall dissatisfaction with my life. I needed to open up my mind and really ask myself some questions and create a vision and a purpose for why I'm fighting to love the life that I'm living in. This was really hard because I do disassociate quite frequently. I just turn off my feelings and I don't allow myself to want anything or to think about any kind of a future in an effort to protect myself from feelings of failure or feelings of anxiety or pain. And while I may not, I may be protecting myself from these sad, negative feelings, I'm also not allowing myself to feel joy or happiness. So I needed to create a vision for my life and open up my heart and my mind to allow for these feelings. And I started by asking three questions. The first question should have been an easy one. What do I love? Number two, what am I good at? And number three, what are my core values? And then finally, how do I combine these three answers to contribute to something in my life and in the lives of others? So here's what I'm going to tell you. We're gonna go into this in a little bit more depth next week, and I'm gonna have some resources available for you, some resources that I used and put together to help me work through this because these questions were so much harder than I thought they would be. You would think, what do I love would just flow, but I have built some serious walls against all feeling That allowing myself to just be like, What do I love and let it flow took a little bit of time and took some breaking down. And what am I good at? When I have trained myself to believe on a very fundamental level that I'm a failure, it's pretty easy for me to be like, Well, I'm not good at anything. So, once again, Allowing myself to open up and write out what I really do believe I am good at. And then asking myself, what are my core values? After breaking down the walls and answering those first two questions, this one flowed. I simply asked myself the question, my life would not make sense without. And they just came pouring out of me and I loved it. And then there was the fun of putting it all together. And I'm gonna give you a hint. I wrote out all of these statements. What do I love? What am I good at? What are my core values? What do I want to do with this information to create something for me and for others? What is my purpose? I wrote out and I wrote and I wrote, and it just never came together. So here is my little cheat code. I put those three things into ChatGPT and asked it to give me a vision statement and the AI delivered. So it helped me to create this vision and purpose statement. And I then wrote it on the front page of my journal where I will read it every day. I have these statements next to my 24 for 24, as well as reminders of what my daily goals are so that I know what I need to be doing each day to work towards loving the life that I'm living. So this is my plan and I've already started incorporating it. Like I said, I started small, I decluttered my bedside table and I leave my house three times a week to go work out somewhere other than my basement. And I spend time each day in gratitude for the people that I do have while thinking and working towards building relationships with people where I live. And I'm using my vision statement each day to not only remind me my why, but how and what I will do to create the life I want, whether that's where I am or a cottage somewhere in the woods. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope some of the things that I offered to you sparked an idea or some things that you can do right now or tomorrow or in the coming days to create and love the life that you are in right now, because that's all we got. All we have is right now. If you found anything in this podcast that you enjoyed, I would sure appreciate it if you could give me a rating or a review or both, and I'd love it if you could subscribe to this podcast. Thank you so much for being with me. I love you. I appreciate you, and I need you to know that you are loved and that you matter no matter who you are or where you are in your story. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining me in the middle of my story. My theme music is White Linen by Asher Child. He's my kid. You can find all of his amazing music on all streaming platforms. And you know, it just wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't ask you to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. But seriously, it would really mean so much to me if you did. Thank you so much and see you next time. When I'm walking.